Welcome to a Couch Divided podcast where secular psychology meets a Christian worldview with Dr. Robin Hall and Nick Thomas. All right, Nick, sit back and relax. And if you can't, we need to talk about that. <laughs> Prepare to be couched. Repeat the address. Yeah, of course. Uh, in, in your library right now, so can help me come. Okay. Repeat the address. 1916 P. You need police, fire, or an ambulance. Who I do don't you, know. We who need, do you need? Library. We need a library here. That guy, that's why. need a uh, police, you know. It's a robbery there? Yeah. Okay, what's, is this a house apartment or business? Kospa. I can't hear you? Kospa. Okay. All right, you have a description oh, of the male? Please, uh, hurry. Do you have Thank a description you. of him, ma'am? Uh, we need to hide him right now, that's why. Please. Is it a male or female? They have a gun, but it's like not a real gun, that's why. Welcome, everybody, to part two of our series psychology of mass shootings i'm here with with the lovely dr robin hall as always <laughs> lovely <laughs> i feel like that's how you should introduce somebody everybody you know the co yes. the host is always lovely sure right? well like on sheologians joy and summer introduced my beautiful co-host there you go and so mm -hmm. and so eventually it'll work its way to uh i'm lovely and <laughs> <laughs> nick you're so lovely oh thank you you're very such much. a lovely co-host thank you for my self-esteem is just boosting <laughs> In fact, we were talking about that in the last series about uh, uh, self-identity and self-esteem <laughs> and things like that. Call call your friends lovely, yes, guys. Okay. Yes. All right. I mean, it is a nice, it's a nice descriptive. It's a nice sentiment. Yes. yes I love it. Um, okay. So we spent the last episode talking about um, some of the statistics and the common like factors that have been identified in research on mass shootings as a subset of mass killing. So we're going to continue that discussion um, and talk about um, a proposed classification system for mass shooters mm -hmm. that I thought was really interesting. And then um, move into looking at some of the specific details of the history of Charles Whitman, the University of Texas shooter from 1966. Um, and I'm hoping that we can tie some of the concepts that we've been talking about to him specifically. And then um, ultimately we're going to talk about the most recent shootings and then the so what of it all, right? So what do we do? With yes, this and then we wrap it all up and, <clears throat> and let you know as Christians or right. as non-Christians, if you're, if you're listening, um, that there is 
cosmic purpose uh, sure. to this and, and a way of peace uh, in looking at this that is not dissociated uh, from reality. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'll just jump right in. Um, you can tell that I'm kind of a perpetual student because I discuss things in outline form and I give, you know, like a thesis statement. This is what we're going to do. And you learn from the best. <laughs> and, and, and you have to actually even be a perpetual student in knowledge because uh, sure. <laughs> as new findings, you know, oh, you yeah. have to update yourself. Yeah, you definitely well. have and to so stay. You, you have current. the found, you have the foundations of structure uh, that uh, qualify for success in learning new information as well. So I, I do appreciate your notes on this. So. <laughs> well, right. So, yes, if graduate school uh, does anything to anybody, it teaches you how to be a good student. There so. you go. Okay, so um, from this same article that I've kind of been referencing uh, most frequently in our discussion, um, the article that was published about mental health, gun, gun violence and mental health um, by Noel and Annis. So these guys are the researchers that put together this proposed categorization system. So I, it's important to note that <clears throat> there, there isn't a, like a diagnosis in our diagnostic manual where we could say mass shooter disorder, yeah. right? So if we were going to diagnose any shooter with a mental illness, it would be based, you know, upon symptoms, history, all of that. Um, and it, it would fall into one of the categories that essentially already exists. Yeah. So like, this is just a proposed system for classification. It's not, it, this isn't God ordained is what go. I'm saying. Right. It's so a, like, this is just a way that we have, or that these specific researchers anyway, came up with addressing the issue of, of um, how do we understand and study these killers? And we do that by classification, sure. putting, you know, um, okay. So they argue that from, an ideological standpoint so like from an origin standpoint factors contributing to mass murder are very very broad which we've kind of talked about um and because of that you can't use any single shooting or incident um necessarily to generalize to a broader population you have to approach each incident using um a lens that addresses all sorts of different factors biological social psychological um, biological factors might include possible brain pathology mm -hmm. uh, or psychiatric illness, like depression or psychosis, mm -hmm. psychological factors like negative or fragile self image, which, you know, we talked all about that in our much ado about self, right? Paranoid, um, ideation dynamics, retreat into violence and omnipotent revenge fantasies would be some of the things you'd expect to see. Right. And then social factors like isolation ostracism by peers absence of pro-social supports that kind of thing um so basically the summative point is that the research that exists on mass murders suggests that these events are caused by a very complicated interaction of emotional turmoil psychopathology tra trauma uh traumatic life events and then other precipitating factors that are unique to each specific right. gunman okay so study of individual cases of mass murder um have revealed that offenders have felt typically have felt compelled to leave some type of final message okay. so when we talked about the bath school mm -hmm. you know he left that kind of 
um, cryptic, but like <laughs> screw you, like criminals are not born, they're made, right? Message to the world. And this is a similar behavior in suicidal ideation where they leave a, you know, a farewell note. Yes. Kind of thing like that. Yeah. Sure. Um, so messages can be written, videotapes, like in the more like recent era of social media, it's happening. People are posting, you know, messages online, videos online kind of thing. Um, the communications often have a lot of meaning to the people who perpetrate these crimes. Yeah. Um, and they feel, you know, like it's going to be their only kind of living testament to what the motivations, what their specific motivations were and the, the struggle that they had, their specific struggle, what mm -hmm. it was. Um, so these guys are essentially postulating that the messages left by, by these shooters are kind of a rich source for data right. collection, which makes sense. At, le at least gives us a window into specific motivation, mental states, and then any type of like psychological disturbance that might be happening. Hmm. So um, available research hasn't produced any widely accepted typology for mass murders or mass shooters. Um, and examination of the incidents, like we're saying, reveals a bunch of different uh, factors that are inf influencing motivators, right? Um, so we've got no research that really reliably established establishes that most mass murderers are psychotic or even suffering from serious mental illness. We talked about that in the first episode. Right. Um, but we we have seen like that there's a common thread of paranoid themes across perpetrator perpetrators cognitions, right? So these cognitions don't necessarily, however, rise to the level of um, psychosis, right. right? Being out of touch with reality. Sometimes persecutory, like persecutory delusions, can, are absolutely a, right. a part of psychosis. People are after me. Yeah, uh, the government's after me. Aliens are after me. Um, yeah, and in retaliation, when somebody's after you. There's almost a proper response to defend yourself or whatever like oh, yeah. that. And you and react in fear. Very exactly. Much. So when psychosis takes over in such a way that uh, you're exhibiting paranoid behavior, that of course, then yeah, there's there could be violence involved right. in that. Feeling yeah. like you're being followed. Sure. Yeah. Right. So um, thoughts and feelings of perpetrators focus on social persecution and fantasies of re revenge against their perceived tormentors. Um, some of them appear to be driven by strong feelings of revenge born of social alienation or perceived injustice. And mm. they give an example of a 15-year-old who shot and killed his parents and then two high school students then wounded another 25 in 1998 in mm -hmm. Springfield, Oregon. Do you remember that one? I do not remember that yeah, one, no. Um, so this shooter... Reportedly suffered intolerable, intolerable quote anguish over feelings of social rejection, and his peers described him as morbid and preoccupied with okay. violence. Um, so other shooters may in fact suffer from severe depression um, or rarely psychosis, like we talked about in the last episode. Um, so the example that this article cites uh, is from 2009: a 41 year old. Naturalized Vietnamese immigrants killed 14 people and wounded another four and then killed himself at the uh, Binghampton, New York American Civic Association. So mm. uh, the man's father reported that in the two weeks leading up to the tragedy, his son had stopped eating dinner, stopped watching television, had become increasingly isolative. 
And uh, a few days after the shooting, a local television station receives a letter that was composed by the shooter and postmarked the day of the shooting. Um, and so after they analyzed the letter, it revealed long-standing paranoid and persecutory delusions as well as hallucinations. Hmm. So, but, you know, this is an example of somebody who is actually out of touch right. with reality. Um, and and just to, to pause in there, how long do those things exist uh, for before you get to the stage of of mass shooting? Could they happen as soon as you start exhibiting these symptoms, or is usually elongated over a period of time of having? What do you, uh, so? What do you mean exactly? So the the delusions, the paranoia. How long uh, was that a part of his mind before? Um, yeah, uh, could it be something that starts right away? Well, so I mean, according to this, the 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 shooter's dad noticed a distinctive change in behavior for mm -hmm. the two weeks leading up to the event. Right. Okay. Um. So I are you asking me if you can just if you can start hallucinating and then tomorrow go commit a mass shooting? Yeah. Or are you, is it usually something that is uh, settled in uh, into your mind? I actually well? don't know what the statistics would be around mm. uh, quickness of progression. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, I think it, that the, the indication is, is that more often than not, there's at least some thought that goes into this. And yeah. The longer that you ruminate about something, the more more obsessed you become with it. You know, the more yeah, it might feel you might feel uh, a compulsion to act. Yeah, I guess like I, I was curious uh, because the uh, the father said I noticed two weeks before the shooting a behavioral change. I'm wondering what he noticed about his son before those two weeks. You know, if you would describe how would you describe your son before these uh, kinds of two weeks kind of thing and. Wanted to see if uh, if there was a a disposition that he would qualify him in sure, uh, before these things, right? Yeah. Like, had there been previous psychotic episodes? Mm -hmm. um, for like, at, if we're talking about a diagnosis like schizophrenia in this case, and it's not, it doesn't clarify if this person was ever diagnosed with any specific disorder. Hmm. Um, but you typically, like, as a forty-one-year-old individual, if you have a psychotic disorder um unless it was caused by some organic like brain injury hmm. you would have most likely and i mean in most cases you would have seen a psychotic break well before 41 years right, old right right um yeah so but it could have been substance induced like sure. there's so many factors that we don't like we don't know is it possible that there was never a sign prior mm -hmm. to those two weeks yes is it probable no, probably not likely. No. That's where I was getting at because I was like, man, you know, you notice the behavior changed two weeks. But what about the before that? You know, what was your son like? Right. Yeah. And you might see you might have like described the individual as more paranoid and thinking their whole life. But it mm. didn't cross the threshold into bizarre, uh, okay. you yeah. know, um, until this instance. And, right. And, and it starts to unravel <laughs> from there. Mm, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very good information, I think. So. Um. So, yeah. So uh, part of the. Um, this this individual's this specific shooter's persecutory ideation was believing that he was being um systematically persecuted by undercover cops. Um, so and he believed that they had destroyed his chances of assimilating and working successfully in the United States. So a little resent, right? Uh, resentful, and which is one of the qualifiers here, right? Right. Um, well, one of the yeah. at least one of the common, yeah. Um 
common uh commonly shared belief sets across shooters mm -hmm. okay so um uh to the proposed classification of mass shooters um though like the examples we just went through were kind of to, to illustrate in parts some of the differences between each category so um these guys based this classification classification system excuse me on a relationship link motive classification scheme which is a blah, 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 a whole mouthful but essentially in this proposed system relationship is defined as the link between victims and perpetrator um and they this is important because it emphasizes the fact that some perpetrators may have no meaningful interpersonal relationship with their victims but instead only have a connection or a link to some mutually shared activity like work or school right so the Texas shooter didn't know it personally, the people that he was shooting at down onto the university, like quad mm. common area, but he went to school there. Right. They were students at the university. Right. Yeah. And these students represented something he wanted to dismantle. Right. So, yeah. so um, there are, they propose six different classification groups. The first one is school resentful type. Um, and this type of mass murderer includes an offend offenders who target schoolmates and have the motive of hostile revenge. So depression and or suicidal threats are likely to be present prior to the offense, but not necessarily. Individuals in this category would be described as, uh, or excuse me, would often describe being bullied, disaffected, or socially socially alienated. Um, and are motivated by feelings of rejection or humiliation by peers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about that in the first episode about bullying's and uh, resentful against your peers right. uh, and who, you know, who you do life with on a day-to-day -day basis. In this case, it's school. So. Right. So um, in, in this category, a perpetrator, this type of perpetrator often communicates intent to third party peers. Right. Um, so examples of murderers who fit this description would be, shooters at uh columbine and and virginia tech what's interesting is um with columbine and we were talking about this a little bit when we weren't recording um there that ex school shooting is unique in that there were two shooters right right because <clears throat> that almost never happens like we talked about before um, so the next type is workplace resentful type, and this describes the aggrieved or disgruntled employee or ex-employee who is upset with a supervisor, coworker, or some aspect of the work environment and who commits murder in the workplace. These individuals typically externalize blame for their problem onto others and feel that they have been wronged. They are very likely to have depression as well as paranoid and or narcissistic traits. Persecutory delusions may sometimes be seen, but mental illness is not necessarily present. Hmm. Um, and there it is again. Um, does mental illness? Yeah, going you know, postal. This is yeah. this is what ma this makes me think of that. Yeah. and I don't, you know, not to be dismissive or make a joke about um, real incidences that occurred uh, where people lost their lives, but that's the first thing as an example. That's the first thing that right. comes to mind. Um, the next type is indiscriminate resentful type. So this describes generally rageful, depressed, and often paranoid individuals who vent anger arbitrarily in some public place. Um, I immediately just conjured an image of like the, the, um, 
the street preachers that aren't right. actually street preaching, yeah, you know, yeah. not street preachers, right? <laughs> but think they are. Yeah. Um, the victim group may be chosen randomly or on the basis of convenience or ease of access to large numbers of people. Um, an example of this category is the man who shot and killed 22 people and injured 19 others at a San Diego, California McDonald's in 1984. Um, this guy was angry, but non-psychotic, and he told his wife immediately prior to the offense that society had their chance, mm. quote, and that he was leaving to go, quote, hunting humans. Mm. Uh, no evidence indicated that he felt particularly aggrieved by that specific McDonald's restaurant or its employees, um, but the rather the evidence indicated that he had chosen the location due to his familiarity. I was getting ready to with say it. that. And those uh, knowledge that there'd be a lot of in possible the, victims. And what propagates that thing before before you mentioned that what propagated that in my mind, I was like, well, he must have been familiar with the place is because he said to his wife, society had their chance. And there's only so many places that you engage, you know, uh, society in. Right. And so he must have picked somewhere familiar. Yeah. Close to home. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next two categories. um, uh, take a little bit of explaining. So, um, Park uh, Dietz in 1986, in his article on uh, mass serial and sensational homicides, he describes a type of mass murderer that he uh, terms the pseudo commando. Hmm. Okay, so this person plans out the offense ritualistically and comes prepared with a powerful arsenal of weapons. Um, so there are two types of the pseudo commando style mass shooter, shooter mass murderer, mm. the specific community resentful type and the pseudo community psychotic type. Wow. Yeah. So this is a mouthful. Yeah. Um, we won't be testing you guys on any of this. No, but I mean, it, when you look at the names and I'll let you describe it, when you look at the names, it, it totally makes sense of why they would call it something like this, but go on. Sure. So uh, both categories uh, include individuals who have paranoid character traits mm -hmm. and are driven by strong feelings of anger and resentment. Yeah, I mean, hence the word pseudo. Right. A specific yeah. community resentful type may include disgruntled clients or others harboring deep resentment toward an identifiable group, identifiable group culture, or political movement. Pseudo community psychotic type includes only those experiencing paranoid or persecutory, persecutory delusions flowing from a psychotic disorder. Mm. Um, so in terms of the relationship to victims, the pseudo commando psychotic mass murderer focuses on a group that he delusionally believes is persecuting him. Mm. Um, Dietz noted also that the pseudo commando type killer may focus his resentment on a specific community based in reality or on a pseudo community that he defines on the basis of psychosis or strong paranoid wow, cognitions. Yeah. Right. So pseudo community being one that's been created in the mind of the individual. Yeah. Right? A, a community not based in reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And okay. it's hard to, to imagine that you can create that, right? Uh, that you can create this kind of either dystopian, utopian, pseudo community, fake community in your head, have it represent something. And be resentful towards it. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's all an idea, right? So specifically, and I won't uh, um, get into like how how I know this this individual or story story specifically, but um, uh, there's an individual who was suffering from uh, undiagnosed uh, delusional disorder, most likely, mm -hmm. and uh, they worked at the post office. 
and their delusional ideation focused around believing that the post office was a front for terrorism activity. Hmm. And so this person, this pseudo community became all of the employees, um, the government officials and the, like that were really terrorists and involved in this underground movement to kind of overthrow, hmm. overtake um the country first and then the world i think subsequently right. so while like the employees at her work were absolutely a real community in her mind she created this pseudo community of people who she identified as threatening right right it's not hard to imagine how these things propagate obviously that there is a tremendous amount of things that they've experienced in life but you you think of a typical author who's healthy in the mind and healthy in his um uh, in their disposition in life, but they can write about a community and they can write about a dystopia or a utopia. Obviously, it's in a healthy fashion, the, the way they're manifesting their thoughts, but the creativity of the mind could go uh, to the entertainment of the audience or the uh, the, the dissemination uh, right. of an audience. Well, and when we well. T- like when we focus later episodes specifically on psychosis or psychotic disorders mm-hmm. and you... It, you um, attempt to understand them from a standpoint of at some point this alternative reality was a better option yeah. than my my actual reality. Yeah. So when I I create it to escape, it starts to make a lot more sense. You start to understand why engaging in that kind of a fantasy life would potentially be adaptive. Mm. All right, and that's I, what I am not saying is that individuals who become psychotic or or struggle with psychosis are choosing. Yes, right. That is not what I'm saying. Yeah, and their lucid mind. Mm. Right, they would never. Yeah. But if you break break uh, symptoms down into their components and ask why would this potentially be beneficial, mm. it's you can start to see. In certain circumstances, why an alternative reality would be preferable to reality. Um, okay, so that was totally an aside. But uh, the last type of um, murderer is the familial depressed type. So this involves a member of a family unit who's suffering from severe depression, potentially severe depression with uh, psychotic features. And motives range from cognitions distorted by depression, hopelessness, psychosis, and or resentment toward an estranged spouse. So Mm. a typical scenario involves a depressed father who kills his entire family, viewing the act as a delivery of his family from what he perceives to be continued hardship or stressors. Mm. Right. So and we're actually going to see that specifically in um, Charles Whitman. So. Um, yeah, a lot of information. I know that we like kind of overloaded you, but I, I thought it was an interesting categorical system and it kind of helped me wrap my mind around the, you know, motivation of these right. different shooters. We talked about that in the first episode is everybody gets that the event happened. Now we're trying to substantiate it on why, why? it happened right. and the motivations. And we talked about a lot of categories and a lot of complexities that really haven't given us a definitive answer, but man's attempt to try to qualify it. And I think uh, the categories that we just broke down were some of the best I've heard. Yeah. Um, and really do make sense. And we all understand an instance of where, okay, that, that this shooting kind of qualifies this and, and, and that. And so I hope that helps, you right. know, a, a little bit to go, okay, it really is. Um, it's much more complicated yeah. than just simply mad or bad. Yeah. Um, or or one factor uh, of, you know, or religion or mm-hmm. racism or anything like that. It's right. Like, and man, so we need to be very careful yeah. that we're not 
lumping everything into one category because we're we don't understand it or we're too lazy to describe it yeah and i think you hit the nail on the head it's too lazy mm -hmm. right it's easy to take the at least path of resistance blame it on one thing and mm -hmm. go with that narrative right yeah. well and ultimately like we've said and i'll continue to say we understand our view of human nature as christians is accurate and we understand that it we're not good so we don't jump from this platform of all people are basically good to how how do you go from basically good to this yeah. you know atrocity um it's a much shorter jump for us yeah we may say as a turn of phrase how can somebody do that mm -hmm. um but then if you're a christian it's like well, I know I'm not right. surprised that sinners pulled this off. Right. You know. Right. But yes, what led to up to the right. events is what I want to know. And yeah. God's restraining grace becomes extremely evident in yes. your own life. Yes. Right. <laughs> um Yeah, it just does. That's ironic because we're really saying, Hey, are you that much worse? You know, mm -hmm. uh, if uh that grace of God was not uh right. abundant there. Yeah. You are that bad, yeah. you need a savior. Yeah. Repent and believe the gospel. Amen. Right. I Amen. mean we should just end them right there. Right there. <laughs> so that's all you need to hear. Should I throw the microphone on the ground? And just and go, drop Mic it. Drop? Yeah. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> Liz Lemon out. Quick uh, side note, you know who started that. I believe it was Eddie Murphy who started that, but Oh, ahead. mic drop? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. You would know that too, though. That's awesome. Okay, so um, like I said before, I think it's going to be, I think it would be interesting for us to discuss uh, Charles Whitman in a little bit more detail, um, just as, as a case study, because we can see some of the stuff we've talked about, the common factors, uh, like the environmental influences, the so psychosocial stressors that um, we've talked about really manifest in his story so right. and i was not expecting to kind of go down this rabbit hole but it popped out at me when i was researching like i said um and it feels a little true crimey because it is true crime yeah really um and that's my jam so so is and uh you see a lot and maybe you understand this uh, being a, a true crime enthusiast and a connoisseur that they always describe these these killers with three names, their first, middle, and last. Uh, that uh, is name. so interesting that you said that because there's actually, in one of the articles I read about Whitman, their specific reference to that, to using first, middle, and last. And that starts with the John F. Kennedy's assassination yeah. and Lee Harvey Oswald. And it was just a, it was a preference that was made like by the journalist who was reporting and it caught on. I said, I'm I'm kind of glad that they do that uh -huh. uh, because they may not notice that they uh, that they created this. But when you use three names, you know, how many people have your same first and last name? You're going to appreciate the one that's bad. Them using the middle name. Sure. As well, so you're not yeah, associated. It, it hits a little harder, <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. So Charles Joseph Whitman, uh, he grew up in Lake Worth, Florida. He was the eldest of three sons. And the uh, main article that I got this information from um was an article on uh from encyclopedia britannica on their mm. website um and again we like we'll post all of the links and article references for you guys if you're interested in mm. diving more into it um later so this article describes um whitman's father as being overbearing um he was a plump the the dad was a plumbing contractor and his mother was a devout Roman Catholic. That hmm. was how they described her. So uh, Whitman's father, uh, a perfectionist, was apparently never satisfied with his son's accomplishments, hmm. no matter how impressive, including early mastery of the piano and uh, Charles becoming one of the youngest Eagle Scouts 
uh, in Boy Scout history. Wow. So um, Whitman Sr., so Daddy Whitman, oh, that sounds weird, um, was a fervid gun lover. And he did, however, because of this, take really great pride in um, what, what what is described as precocious expert markmanship of his eldest son. Hmm. So and he taught he taught Charles how to shoot at a very young age. So really, it's a, you know, you can say this father's uh, mindset is I'm only delighting in my son with things that he's learned from me. Right. Um, and that was kind of he saw his son as an extension of himself right. and any other behavior that he had that wasn't really affiliated with him. He disregarded. Right. Very narcissistic. Yes. I was like, it's, <clears throat> it's narcissism. So. Um, so Whitman, uh, Charles Jr., like his mother, uh, who was physically abused by uh, Whitman Sr., suffered very much under his domineering explosive father. Um, this article, it's interesting because they're, uh, they're speculating, but it's in, in my estimation, it's pretty accurate. Um, being very anxious to get away from home, Whitman um, decided to enlist in the Marines, which mm. he did in July of 1959. <clears throat> so he qualified as a sharp, sharpshooter in boot camp. Um, he served an 18-month stint at Guantanamo Bay Naval Base in Cuba. Um, and he there he earned an appointment to officer training school in Bainbridge, Maryland. Um, while on while at that's the training school in Bainbridge, uh, he distinguished himself enough to earn a military scholarship to study mechanical engineering at the University of Texas. And this is while he was still on active duty. So he began at the university in September of 1961. He also met in August of 1962, um, fellow student Kathleen Leisner. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, whom he married. She became his hmm. wife. Um, eventually, poor grades resulted in Charlie's recall to active duty as an enlisted man. And that happened in February of 63. Hmm. He was discharged from the Marines in 64 and returned to the University of Texas in 65. And he did so with the intention of studying architectural engineering. Hmm. Um, Whitman, Charlie's mother, uh, left her overbearing husband, which I thought was interesting considering they described her as a devout Roman Catholic. But she did ultimately leave her abusive husband. Mm -hmm. Um, and then moved to Austin in the spring of 66 so that she could be near Charlie. Okay. Um, so d meanwhile, so co-occurring, uh, Charlie was suffering from feelings of rage, confusion, violent impulses, all of that he documented exhaustively in like personal writing, mm. journal writing. Um, he visited several university doctors in 1965 and had been prescribed a variety of different medications. Um, in March of 1966, Charlie expressed his concern during a visit to a psychiatrist at the University Health Center, and he also complained of headaches. And so this is actually quite interesting. An autopsy of Whitman would reveal that he had a brain tumor about the size of a pecan. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Um and there's, you know, diff dissenting opinions about whether or not that was impacting Whether him. or not it played a role. Right. So uh, when Whitman expressed the his concern about this during a visit to the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist advised him to return for further counseling, but he never did. 
Hmm. He never came back. So, um, the crime, like the actual shooting itself. Um, let's see. At 6.45 p.m. on July 31st, 1966. I have no idea if how they know it was 6.45 unless he may have written the time down. I'm not sure. But he began typing a suicide note. Among other things, he wrote, quote, I do not really understand myself these days. I'm supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I cannot recall when it started. I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. After one session, I never saw the doctor again. And since then, I have been fighting my mental turmoil alone and seemingly to no avail. After my death, I wish that an autopsy would be performed on me to see if there is any visible physical disorder. And there was. Yeah. <laughs> he had a brain tumor. He did. You know, what I what I find interesting, because you can see some sorrow here, um, I do not really understand myself these days. And that's kind of a trigger to me when I when I start counseling and I, when I hear an identity crisis uh, such as this. And he says these days, which I'd probably end up asking, was there ever a day? Um, that you understood yourself and then he goes i'm supposed to be an average reasonable and intelligent young man which means there was an expectation that he even had on himself or this is uh the from the overflow of what he thought maybe his dad wanted from him um since he uh, didn't have any uh, kind of relationship with them these are speculations but these are what i'm thinking as i read the note mm -hmm. uh, yeah well right i mean i think there's a cultural expectation that you're supposed to be Sure. average reasonable and intelligent whether mm. a young man or a young woman sure yeah. so it really doesn't have to stem from a specific expectation of his father but if we if what you know this article is capturing is accurate mm. it would his father's voice his approval or disapproval will probably be in it's, the back it's of ringing. his head it's ringing yeah. yeah um it's sad it really is so uh also in this note uh, regarding the murder of his wife Whitman wrote, I don't want her to have to face the embarrassment my actions would surely cause her. I truly do not consider this world worth living in, and I am prepared to die. I do not want to leave her to suffer alone in it. Similar reasons provoke me to take my mother's life. So we, this, the, the, the familial killer, right, that we talked about, <clears throat> part of their motivation to kill their entire family is to spare them yeah, embarrassment a, they think it's an act of mercy mm -hmm. yeah right. coming from them right which harkens back and when we were talking about the first episodes where justice hatred or mercy or whatever flows from the individual uh and god is describing that as blasphemous and uh, the disposition of men uh here he's thinking okay i'm getting ready to do something i know it's going to be embarrassing for them but according to me and my own heart uh, and what I believe right now, I'm showing them mercy. I'm the one that's giving mercy on mm -hmm. this. And he's determining what is merciful. Of course, it's not accurate. Uh, and it's not reality-based at all, regardless whether the tumor had something to do with it, uh, the experience of childhood, all of the above, you mm -hmm. know, um, it's still wrong. Well, and uh, he, so I'm going to argue that mm -hmm. because he felt compelled to explain it, mm -hmm. Part of him still understands that law, God's law written on his heart. Yep, that's the image of God, he, just bearing right, right through. Right, just bearing yeah. right through. So he may have be believed, quote unquote, that he was motivated out of mercy, mm -hmm. but he felt compelled to explain it, mm -hmm. which to me indicates that he knew it was wrong regardless. Oh, or he, he how knew he how people were going to react, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. 
Um, if I just explain this, maybe they'll get it. Right, right. <laughs> That's irrational thinking. Very well. narcissistic. Yeah. So um, sometime after midnight, Whitman went to his mother's apartment where he killed her. Um, then he returned home and he killed his wife about 3 a.m. on August 1st uh, by stabbing her in her sleep. Mm. Ugh. Um, so after that, he he stopped his killing and documented his actions. Hmm. Um, but he didn't actually write anything specific about what he was going to do the he was what his plan was but later that morning um he after expanding uh this article calls it a small arsenal that he uh, had assembled by purchasing more guns and ammunition charlie loaded his weapons which included an m1 carbine a hunting rifle a sawed-off shotgun several pistols a machete and knives Hmm. um along with uh, a litany of other supplies, food, bottled water, dexedrine. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Mm-hmm. Excedrin, deodorant, and a transistor radio, among the things. Um, and he put all that into a footlocker. Sounds like a marine. I mean, he sounds like guy. He is I, a marine. Yeah, he sounds yeah. like a guy that is out in the middle, right, of the jungle and needs to survive. He's <laughs> preparing for battle. Yeah, right. Um, he so he dressed in coveralls in order to look like a workman. He took the footlocker to the landmark 307-foot University of Texas clock tower building, um, and he arrived about 11.30 in the morning. So within about 15 minutes, Charlie had made his way to the reception room of the observation deck, which is about the 28th floor. Um, He then fatally bludgeoned the receptionist. Hmm. And shot and killed two people and wounded two others who were climbing the steps from the 27th floor, which was apparently the last floor reachable by elevator. Um, Once he did that, he barricaded the door to the reception area. And then he went out on the observation deck, uh, which is approximately 230 feet above the ground. Hmm. He spread out his guns and approximately 10 minutes before noon, he fired his first shot at the mall below. And the round pierced the abdomen of a pregnant student, instantly killing her unborn baby. The next shot killed her boyfriend. Um, And then uh, Whitman began raining bullets on the area, on an area, excuse me, the size of about five city blocks. Wow. Um, Yeah, it's very heavy, right? Um, So I was reading this too and... um, for those of you guys that have listened to our other series, um, you'll know that I just recently had a baby. So I was immediately teary eyed imagining this poor mother mm-hmm. um, who not only, you know, loses her baby and her and her boyfriend within the same, I don't know, millisecond, however long it took him to fire again. And ju- yeah, just... I can't. I can't even imagine what was going through that that, that mind that millisecond that right. it happened. Shocked. Everything is falling apart right. at that at that. Probably moment. such confusion yes. you wouldn't even realize at all what was going on right away. <clears throat> um, after killing and wounding a number of other people in the mall, Charlie uh, trained his fire towards the business district of Guadalupe Street. Um, he wounded and killed others as they innocently passed by or sought cover in fear. Um, so the police were alerted to the sh- shooting that was going on 
very quickly. They were, they were arrived um, within just a minute or two of the shooting hmm. beginning. Um, unfortunately, one of the police officers was shot um, and died. The most of the events casualties occurred within the first 15 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. of the attack. Um, police began arriving in greater and greater numbers and they were joined by private citizens. Many um, of them were alerted by the on-scene radio report of the incident as it occurred, uh, who came armed with hunting rifles. Man, if this isn't like a an argument for the Second Amendment, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <clears throat> um, the expanding fire from the ground forced Charlie to seek shelter behind the observations observation deck's thick walls and limited his targeting ability by confining him to shooting through water spouts. So this is super interesting, too. Um, remember, this is 1966, um, and law enforcement, their response to the shooting, it occurred in an era before the advent of any kind of rapid response team. Um, there was no coordination or very limited coordination between law enforcement branches. Uh, technology was very limited linking officers. And as a result of that, um, Whitman's rampage kind of came to an end very haphazardly. Right. Um, so what happened was using stairs in the elevator, three police officers and an armed citizen um, who actually was the university bookstore manager Um they acting largely independently found themselves on the 27th floor together. Uh, they didn't really have a plan or any, any real coordination. Um, but the four men successfully took the observation deck and surrounded Charlie, um, enabling policemen Ramiro Martinez and Houston McCoy. Oh my gosh. I'm going to name my next son, Houston McCoy. Um, (laughs) that's such a cool name to shoot and kill Whitman. So, um, a little bit more than 90, 90 minutes after it started, uh, Charlie's murder spree was brought to an end. Um, so again, like I said before, the numbers of the 14 killed and 31 wounded, that does not include his wife and his mother um, or the, uh, the individual who died 30 years following the attack related to um, injuries sustained on the day. Um. So Governor John Connolly was the Texas, Texas governor at the time, and he created a commission to study the finding of Whitman's autopsy and to try and understand his motive and actions, which I think is awesome for 1966 that the governor was forethinking enough or whoever was advising him anyway was forethinking enough that they they decided it would be important to try and understand mm-hmm try and understand what caused this or what contributed to it. So um, we said earlier that the autopsy discovered uh, a pecan sized tumor. Mm-hmm. So um, the initial autopsy discovered an astrocytoma tumor, <laughs> which uh, in Whitman's brain and the autopsy concluded, and I have no, I have no nothing about these specific types of tumors. Right. Um, but the autopsy concluded that it was not, it would not have influenced Whitman's behavior during the shooting. Um, however, the Connolly commission, so the, the governor, the governor John Connolly commissioned 
contradicted that finding, arguing that the tumor was actually a glioblastoma that might have contributed to Charlie's inability to control his emotions and actions. Hmm. So the conclusion led some forensic investigators to hypothesize that Whitman's tumor may have been pushed against the amygdala, which is an area of the brain um, responsible or an area of the brain where that houses emotional memory and it's associated with the survival response of fight flight. Um, Hmm. Going back to his journal entries, I find myself, having irrational thoughts that's what he said right uh, on that um with a tumor pressing against the amygdala would anybody be that cognitive uh, to say that they're having ir- uh, irrational thoughts and uh I-, I would say yes but uh um but that you need to go deeper in that um so the tumor's pressing against the amygdala right um you have already thoughts and patterns uh that um uh, that you know uh, from the neurotransmitters that come the cortisol that re- is released from the uh, the amygdala that causes the fight or flight which is what we know about ptsd um, i'm just wondering what those irrational thoughts were in him whether or not there were traumatic irrational thoughts or whether or not there were you know things like that oh i i have no idea i mean he if so if the tumor did influence his behavior he was still consciously able yeah. and to identify the thoughts he was having as irrational yeah so there was some connection to reality some appraisal of the thoughts as being irrational, irrational. he's got a lucid right mindset. so yeah. I, I don't know enough about neuro like neurobiology like to i to, know very little and that's why i was like pressed against the uh, amygdala but he was right. already saying that he had irrational thoughts so he's still lucid right it would be super interesting if yeah. we could talk with an expert yeah, um, about this. who's yeah. who's have it has experience with it um we do know that uh brain trauma to the brain brain damage brain yeah. injuries absolutely mm-hmm. influence yes. behavior thoughts feelings so um it's absolutely within the realm of possibility i would not comment on just, whether or not I believe it yeah, influences I, behavior because I, I just don't know. Again, speculation. I don't want to, uh, you know, wrap this up in a single variant cause, but now the dad seems to be coming into my mind more prevalently. If it's a fight or flight response, irrational thoughts, we have the amygdala. We know that the the, the thoughts trigger the amygdala. Cortisol is released. This sounds like a tra- uh, a traumatized well, young I mean, man. Well, I mean, it wouldn't have occurred in a vacuum regardless, right? Yeah. Because he still yeah. has the history of being yeah. in a household like he was, mm-hmm. of being um, uh, treated the way that he was, right? Yeah. So... He like you could argue that he was primed for it with or without the tumor. It's a traumatized young man with a tumor. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. um, again, I don't know enough. I'm not an expert on brain tumors and yeah. their. Um, I hope no one is. Well, other I mean, than surgeons, right? <laughs> there are very important people that study that, but it's just not me. So, um, some of the uh, another. Uh, piece that has been emphasized or looked at in uh, Charlie's case was that he uh, used dexedrine, which is an amphetamine. So um, amphetamines are stimulants and they can increase paranoia, um, impulsive behaviors. Um, He was seeing school psychologists or school counselors. Is that? uh, He went to a school 
psychiatrist at the university once but never returned okay. despite urging him so to i'm wondering return. where he got the dexedrine it's it is prescribed it's usually prescribed for I, ADHD. it may have been something yeah. that was over the counter in the 60s i well, don't know and we gotta look that up yeah um uh because uh it's usually prescribed for adhd on there well that so remember we're 1966 yeah. adhd isn't a thing <laughs> that's happening yet it's, so it's not prescribed for that yeah I, you can abuse it in such a way where it's <laughs> oh, why do you know this nick um no i don't have any experiences of this with myself um, but, uh, a lot of people take it to focus. So, uh, if you're tired at school, you take right, extra drain. Yeah. For, I'm yeah. guessing that it was probably, um, marketed as like an energy booster, sure. a fo you know, concentration booster, but it's not, I, I doubt highly that it was prescribed. It was probably available over the counter. Um, anyway, so there, the argument is, is that if he was habitually and copiously or consuming copious amounts of an amphetamine that mm -hmm. this also could have detrimentally sure. imp impacted his behavior and yep. of course that's true so anyway i just thought it was a really um it was an like a complete case for us to look at we kind of see all these different um well, it brings us back to our point the complexities of the matter look at all these factors mm -hmm. we see an abusive father um uh we also see uh that uh he thought of himself as a failure in his note right i'm supposed to be this guy but i have irrational thoughts uh dextrine mm -hmm. uh brain tumor i mean but, it's a, which we don't have any idea it, yeah what that it, it could be a cocktail for disaster mm -hmm. and then it can go either way. It doesn't always have to result in murder either. Well, he could have just stolen books from the library. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you could have thought 150 books I need from the library well, and, and I'm going to go so take there, them all. That's the crux of it all. What yeah. is it that that makes one individual do this and another one do that? And that's the whole point of trying to, you know, dissect and analyze and study behavior like this mm -hmm. so that we can predict predict it yeah. if we can predict it we can prevent it right. and that's the goal right? right to stop loss of life um so yeah so i thought it was really interesting to look at his kind of uh growing up and just the progression of events that day um yeah some of the matters and i'll i'll go back to the father real quick how important fathers are uh to their yes. children and how a righteous and just and loving father is needed not just your presence, because you cannot be there, but be there at right. the same time. Uh, same thing with mothers, too, as well. Uh, a cohesive parenting relationship that mm -hmm. loves the child, mm -hmm. right? It says in the scriptures, husbands or fathers, don't be harsh with your children. Mm -hmm. Don't be harsh. What does that mean, uh, don't be harsh? It means that you don't discipline them? No, of course not. It would be harsh to not discipline them. Right. But in such a way where what? You're disappointed in them? They like the piano and not football? Things like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um uh, you have this kind of thing of what a man is supposed to be, but uh, your your boy loves acting. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he is not a man uh, the way you defined it. That could be Well, and horrible. you're getting into like uh, gender normative stuff. Like we're, we're going to do lots yeah. of discussion about intersectionality. Yeah. And anyway, um, but back to your other point, which is like how, what, why is one person with an over, like an, a domineering father, why do they go to the library and steal books versus another person with an, an overbearing, domineering father climbs a clock tower? Yeah. Right. And that's the question. Yeah. Isn't that's it? The question. It yeah. also absolutely draws focus to the, the fact that it isn't just one thing. It isn't just a domineering father. Yeah. Right. That, that contributes to this. It's a number of different factors. So 
when the media identifies one cause or correlate as a motive for a shooting, they are really doing a disservice to and, the complexity of what's what's actually going on. And there's all kinds of motivations why they do that. Um, they sure. have to have their audience with, you know, they have to tell their audience an answer because they're expecting it. Sure. They don't want mass chaos, right? So they have to quell down. They also want ratings. Mm -hmm. uh, they also want future stories and a narrative. They right. go with it. And you'll see that a lot of the news stories sometimes end up saying something a little different, but about the same story. And it's like, only have the same information that everybody else has. Kind mm -hmm. of the other <clears throat> but you need to report it. You can't just say there was a mass shooting without a story. Right, right. Yeah. So the, the, the moral is... Um, it, Stop generalizing. Right. It's not that it's not that simple. It's not that simple. Um, and the, you're ruining the, the psychology of it isn't that simple. Yeah. The and nature of it is that simple. We're, you, sin we're sinful. And you're ruining uh, <clears throat> people with your vague categories. Mm -hmm. Religion, racism, <laughs> you know, all this stuff mm -hmm. that could be a contributed factor, but you're just going with that as the main factor. Right. Well, that's a great bridge into yeah. discussing the what most happened, recent it, And shooting. so I knew you were thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> and so we thought it was important uh, just with the the most recent tragedies um, in Atlanta and then in Boulder um, that we would at least mention them and um, and talk about, you know, the so what of it. So how, you know, as Christians, how do we make sense of an, an incident like this how how do we explain it in a like according to a christian paradigm how does it make sense in god's world that this happens and what do we do with it mm -hmm. because uh you know the people that are uh killed are certainly victims but there are so many more victims to tragedies like this. The fallout is really immeasurable. Um, what it does to the community, what it does to, you know, families, community, what it does to, um, I mean, generationally it has an impact too. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to tell us about, we're just going to go over the basics uh, for each shooting. Um, mm -hmm. And we wanted to express, of course, our sincerest condolences to all of the, the victims, victims and their yeah. families. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in this, it's a hard topic. First of all, it's recent. Right. Um, it isn't fresh in our minds. There is a lot of propaganda surrounded around this as well. But then there's also the reality of what they experienced um, too. And sometimes they start to mesh together and even the people that are the victims don't know what to think either other than the fact that they're hurting because they lost a loved one mm -hmm. and they're very angry that somebody would and confused, do this. Right. Robert Aaron Long, three names, mm -hmm. is the Atlanta spa shooter. Okay. And <clears throat> actually spas, uh, so it's multiple there. He hit up three uh spas killing eight people total in total okay. right and um when, and do you have the date on it nick yeah march 16th 2021 okay. uh just six days before the uh the, uh, the, the, the soon to be mentioned uh okay. boulder uh shooting as well robert aaron long and so he will always have that name now associated with the heinous crime that he's committed anything that he's done before that would only be um, well, you just heard the Charles Whitman uh, mm -hmm. thing. We needed to understand his previous life before he did that event to actually understand him. When people look up Robert Aaron Long, we're going to be now looking up why he did such a thing kind of thing. The narrative around here is, okay, 
he's still alive uh, uh, and that is u- unusual in these right. cases like, yeah. normally they end up killing themselves or they get shot by uh, uh law enforcement. enforcement yeah or in charles whitman case you know 90 other people that well, show the, with the, rifles right uh, three cops in a bookstore <laughs> yeah. a bookstore manager yeah. a clerk wow <laughs> um but in this case um um he was taken alive and of course the cops are going to ask why? Why did well, you yes, do that? Yes, num- number one. You need to ask that. Yes. What were you? What were you doing? Why did you do that? Right. Um, well, it took a little bit for them to identify him. Not too long. They got cooperation from the parents. They had surveillance cameras, photos. They go, you know, from this, the shoot. They got cooperation from the shooter's parents. Yes. Okay. Uh, from the shooter's parents, and then they showed them. You know, uh, here's what we got in the surveillance. Is this your son? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they knew. They just needed to ask uh, to properly identify. Yes, they went and got him. Mm-hmm. And he admitted that he's that okay. he was the one. When asked why, reports are showing that he said, "I have an estranged um, uh, sexual addiction that I'm trying to cope with." Um, and of course, those weren't his exact words. I killed them because I have a sex addiction, and that was a way for me to get rid of it, so to speak. Okay. Um, he. Uh, most likely uh, frequented uh, these um, massage parlors. Um, if he's got a sexual addiction, there was something that was enhancing that sexual addiction of him going and getting massages. Right, or feeding at, the addiction. Yes. Right? Yeah. Regardless of what you think about the massage parlors or anything else, that is, this is all we know mm-hmm. uh, about Robert Aaron Long. He said that he had so a sexual far, addiction. Right, so, so far. far. Right. Uh, his parents are not talking. I'm, I, I don't imagine that they want to. Uh, uh, anytime soon, though I'm sure statements will come out um, when they're ready or if they'll ever be ready. Um, there was a church that he attended to three years prior to the shooting. He was actively involved in his church um, and uh, was baptized in his church. And he was known as a guy that always carried around his Bible. Okay. And um, of course, the Bible does say flee away uh, from sexual immorality. Paul told this to Timothy. Um, in Romans 8, it tells us to mortify the deeds of the flesh. This is obviously something either he read or ignored or misinterpreted or whatever, um, because keeping yourself away from you know sexual uh, immoral acts is not necessarily a wrong thing to do. We treat people <laughs> and help people do this every day. Sure. Even in secular counseling, people go for their process addictions, oh, yeah, their sexual addictions, yeah. uh, to try to mitigate behavioral responses to mm-hmm. these things. Right. And the he, fallout, the consequences of He took matters into his own hand. Now, he did go to a rehab uh, for these. Uh, for uh, sex for, addiction? For, for, for sex addiction. So this yeah. is reported. So there has been um, some evidence in his life that he really did have sexual addiction Uh as the main motivating factor of mass shootings as we just were qualifying all of them no it it probably it's not it's not a reason (laughs) for sure it's not an excuse or anything like that but in his mind uh, that's uh, that's what he was getting rid of his sexual Spec- This is speculation on yeah, our part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, based off of what he said. Sure. Now, what's interesting is a lot of the news um, is reporting that he's saying he had a sexual addiction, but also a lot of the news is saying this is racially motivated since it was an attack on uh, Asian spas and there's going right, to Asian be owned Asian businesses. Americans right. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, I believe, of the Korean descent, but uh, because a lot of Korean news is coming out with this too as well. Okay. Uh, but um, that doesn't mean that every uh, victim was Korean. Um, but it was an attack on Asian people. Mm. Not just Asian people died. There were people, other people there that had died of Latino descent as well. Okay. So making this, um, 
um, a high narrative for racially motivated or at least biased mm -hmm. um, uh, animus. So, so yeah. I mean, it, and uh, I think that race, because he identified um, people of Asian heritage as the focus of like his fantasy is what I'm hearing. Um, in that way, it absolutely was just on the surface racially motivated but whether or not that was a primary uh, motivation, I'm not, I don't know that in his mind he felt that it was. I'm not sure. Um, <sighs> we're, I mean, we're never going to really know how he felt about the situation other than i mean he might he say. might make a statement about he might it. make a statement and there would be have some mm -hmm. uh, you know evidence that we have to gather to substantiate his claims right. because you know okay he murdered eight people uh -huh. of uh, of other ethnic backgrounds um to him he's already guilty of the murder mm -hmm. he would never want to be affiliated with now racial and add that on top of that mm -hmm. um you're going to want to try to justify your actions as cleanly uh which is what criminals do try to justify their actions as cleanly as possible mm -hmm. um or you know, I, I'm, I'm i'm generalizing criminals here mm -hmm. but yes they're trying to get out of what the speculation is right. uh, i already murdered somebody now i don't want to be a murdering racist so i'm just going to stick with murder i mean i yeah. highly doubt that that's part of the his thought process just because um like if you're gonna murder people you're not necessarily super concerned about that no racist no added not at all added at the end um and so, so what i would want to know is was he like angry at this specific population because he felt like they were um you know targeting him in like drawing him in right yeah and that's kind of what i speculate too so upon his sexual addiction there's policemen saying uh that most likely he has frequented these places sure or he's going to rehab for sexual addiction he admitted that he had a sexual addiction that he killed these people he was most likely going and frequenting these uh, uh these public places and receiving uh massage and there were specifically asian massages oh. Um, to you know, feed that demon that was inside of him. Um, uh, not a literal demon. Yeah, not a literal not demon. A literal yeah, demon. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, his uh, figure of speech. Yeah, his addiction, his idolatry mm -hmm. uh, that, yeah. that he was serving. Right, his, to that worship God, the idol. That God that he was serving of of sex uh, as well. Um, now it's no wonder that he tried to uh, most likely get involved in church um, as well to try to to help with that. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I don't know his belief systems. I don't know if he was riddled with guilt. Um, uh, because he was having moral failings mm -hmm. in the sexual uh, realm, uh, we we're, we're not going to know that. Mm -hmm. I do know how hard it can be, though, uh, to forego those temptations, mm -hmm. uh, and when you don't have a substantiated, uh, uh, rock solid doctrine, uh, you're you feel like you're just left alone out there. Well, uh, like so again, this is speculation. If this was motivated as it, out of revenge it is anger driven right so these people represent this this thing that i'm addicted to that i hate right and i'm going to take seek vengeance in in doing this my guess is that guilt isn't entering into his thought processes a lot. not as the uh, not as the murderers mm -hmm. uh, uh, going on actually if there is any guilt there at all 
it's certainly not in the shooting because he's going to view that as a relief. Right. Um, uh, uh, from his And guilt. warranted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is justified. Yeah. If there's, again, that justification, again, because we only have one statement saying he was a sex addict and then other narratives saying it was racially and, and uh, motivated, which, okay, uh, it could be, you know, I don't know. We don't know yet because of the complexities. Uh, this is the only thing that we have. Um, I, I would have to say, uh, obviously, um, the uh, the justification part uh, that he's trying to uh, that he's trying to eke out, and I think that as sinners we might do this unconsciously, right? Uh, right? We, I mean, Adam. What was Adam's first act after he sinned? Cover up and hide, right? Kind of thing. And, Shame, uh, and we do that all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty, so I got to say something here. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the cops know that too, as well. That anybody will say anything and admit to anything or deny anything to save their skin or maybe somebody else's. Oh, sure. Uh, what is uh, interesting about these narratives that are coming out is that um, I was reading a, a, an article on Rolling Stone um, and, you know, imagine Rody, uh, Rolling Stone actually, you know, uh, doing an article about this. Uh, but they were saying that uh, Korean news or Korean uh, language uh, news and the English language news uh, were entirely different, where the Korean language was predicating the narrative on a hate crime mm -hmm. um, and not sexual addiction. But the English media was saying sexual addiction. Okay. Um, now I heard both um, uh, coming from you know all sides, so I I don't know why they're saying this. However, what it was um, uh, interesting is the reason why the Korean language uh, narrative uh, predicated upon a hate crime uh, is because someone overheard the uh, the shooter um, uh, Long. Um, saying i am going to kill all asians okay that's so, exactly what i mean yeah. i think that if he's making statements like that then racial motivation is now, absolutely is part of what he was doing so and, and then check this out um so now so the complexities get deeper right. okay so there's a sexual addiction there seems to be hints of racially mm -hmm. motivated uh animus but then nbc news uh gives an article uh, of somebody that was actually in the parlor, uh, Uni Lee. Actually, she was uh, was taking a nap in the back of uh, Gold Spa. Okay. okay, I think that's one of the first ones that he hit up. Um, she would uh, later discover it was the sound of a gun. Uh, that this ticking ticking sound that she was hearing that woke her up. Yeah, woke her up. She said a white man had just shot three of their coworkers in complete silence. Both survivors said. He didn't say a word. Hmm, interesting. So we have one narrative, and, and it could have been at one different spa where he said, I'm going to kill all Asians. Mm -hmm. um, and then a, another spa where he didn't say a word. Sure. Um, they're not specifically, you know, pointing these things out, right. which is more complex. And you're like, all right, well, which what's is the story? Which is confusing. And it, like we said, but everybody is aware these just recently happened. So as... Uh, investigations take place and more information becomes available, we'll have a much clearer picture, right, um, about b both shooters. So, um, and, and remember, it is speculative that he was frequenting these uh, these right. uh, these spots. The officers said he believed, right? Yeah, the, the officers are saying, listen, this kind of thing, you know, um, if he's saying that he had a sexual addiction, is probably because he kept going there. Well, I'm going to um, hope that the officers had more intel than that yeah. assumption. I hope they had some actual information yes, um, that indicates that he was frequenting it, them if, before they would say something like that. Exactly. But if uh, if we go with that, um, 
when he said, I want to kill all Asians, was that because I hate all Asians or was that because Asians tempt me sexually? I, I don't know. Yeah. And so one of them is racially. One of them is. I would, well, say, is, I would say that they're both. There's uh, yes, that race is a part of both of those. I, either way, I believe a hate crime qualifies yeah. um, into this. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, uh, to this category. So there is a different motive in uh, in his mind and why he propagates such things. Um, to smatter it, uh, though, uh, with the complexities of either, you know, it's racial or uh, sexual addiction, again, undermines the complexities uh, of the inner experiences well, in his I mean, life. Yeah. And basically what you're I mean, what what you're saying is that both of those things are at play mm -hmm. and there's a whole lot of other stuff that we have zero understanding yeah. of at this moment that now, have gone into this and i want to concentrate on some of the narratives and we'll go on to to boulder here um you know washington post now because of what long is saying about his uh, sexual addiction washington post comes with an opinion article just two days after the shooting uh -huh. two days they don't have any information but i'm a sex addict at this point and so their opinion, their headline is, after Atlanta shooting, Christians must rethink purity culture that puts the blame on women. Oh, right. This is, what, this is what you posted, right? Yes. It puts mm -hmm. the blame on women. Now, I had a problem with that because, well, I knew what we were getting ready to talk about. I knew the complexities of the matter. I know that you can't just say, well, it's it's because of guns why this happened. And I know you can't just say because of mental health. Right. And I certainly know that you can't say purity culture that puts the blame on women. And I don't know if purity culture does put the blame on women. Mm -hmm. um, I have a problem with purity culture theology. I don't believe in purity culture theology. I do believe keeping yourself from sin, but that is somewhat different than purity culture. Right. Well, and we're, I think that a full discussion around purity culture yeah. is necessary. And the way I think about purity culture, I think about uh, fundamentalism and not fundamentalism in Orthodox Christian uh, Christian doctrine like the doctrines of grace um, or the deity of Christ or the resurrection of the right, dead. Those right. are fundamentals that I believe. But fundamentalism is okay. You can't watch this movie. You can't drink a wine. You can't smoke a cigar. You got to stay yes, away from this. Hide le your, legalistic. Close your close your virgin and uh, ears. Close your virgin eyes. Make sure. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, that song. You remember? You remember that 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 little hymn? Okay, I'll sing it. So it goes, <laughs> be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, because uh, the Lord up above, uh, uh, the Lord up above is looking down with love. So be careful little eyes what you see huh. um and so it, it, i don't know what this this song is substantiated on because you can't unsee what you see mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not your fault that you see it mm -hmm. um so what do you mean be careful you mm -hmm. know what i mean interpret well, it with the biblical world you I mean, need to be fine maybe it's yeah maybe the the warning is like don't immerse yourself in stuff D don't go that in. isn't good yeah and so that is that is right right that's not purity culture uh so don't go you know don't go down the dark alley don't walk into the club you <laughs> don't need to be in there yes. it's nothing but immorality anyway yeah um so to me that's not purity culture to me that's just keeping yourself away from sin but then we also put like the pharisees do uh, put up fence laws so you don't go into there. So, sure. Like an independent fundamentalist Baptist church would say no poker and no dancing. 
because poker can lead to gambling. Gambling can lead you uh, to spend your money frivolously, and that's idolatry. And eventually you get the footloose town. Yes. (laughs) Don't dance, because if you dance, then it might, you know, rock the boat a little bit. It's the devil. And some oxytocin (laughs) might come out, and uh, you want to, you know, you know... uh, so don't get jiggy with it with the IFB. Right. Well, so, I don't. I like. We'll. I think we'll make sure that we do in the future um, a series on purity culture. I'm not super versed on it at the moment. So, um, um, but either way, when I looked at that headline and I go, so this, you know, th- I know it, it does say opinion. He's going to have to put right. opinion on there. I mean, it's a, it's a, just an example of how any news outlet can manipulate a headline to fit the narrative they want to they want to pr- promote. And it's Washington Post. Everything in society is patriarchal and puts the blame on women. And so if they can insert that narrative, even in a sensitive situation, uh-huh. such as a mass shooting. Oh, you better believe they're going to they, They're going it. to do it. Yeah. They're going to put opinion in there. But really, is anybody going to care that it's his opinion? Or are they going to read this article as fact? Fact. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, it's probably the latter. And some may recognize the former. That right. it's just an opinion. Uh, and I hope I hope there's more than few yeah. that do that. Uh, with the complexities of mass shootings and killings of what we've talked about in these last two episodes, um, I'd say that you owe it to the victims to actually be right. Yeah. Yeah. But, right. Um, so uh, the Boulder shooting, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. Essentially, um, so uh, this was uh, six days, I think you said, Nick? after yeah the um, 22nd i believe yeah march 22nd um so uh a gunman opened fire at a king supers grocery store in boulder um killing 10 people one of whom was an officer a police officer Mm. um so the youngest individual that lost their life was 20 years old that was denny strong and the oldest um, victim was Jody Waters, and she was 65. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about the shooter. Um, his name is Ahmad Al um, Aliwi Alisa. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, and I'm so sorry. I apologize. Um, he's the shooter. He's the shooter. Uh, he is 21 years old. He, like we said before, was also t- remanded into custody following the shooting. So, um, again, pretty rare, right, that the shooter lives through the shooting. Um, they uh, released the inf- the article that I'm looking at is on C- CNN.com. Um, and the press release uh that was headed up by Boulder Police Chief Maris Harold um, did not disclose a possible motive for the attack. Um, when they searched the suspect's home, they found uh, weapon, other weapons than the one that was used um, in the shooting. The weapon used in the attack was an AR-15 uh, modified pistol with an arm brace. Um, so, that, you know, that's a high power a semi-automatic rifle. Um, I mean, well, this says it was a pistol Hmm. with an arm brace. So anyway, that's going to elongate it. Um, They believe that this individual, that Alyssa, Alisa or Alyssa, however you would pronounce that, was the only person involved and that there was no additional threat to the community. I have not read um, anything at all about uh, what this person 
has said or if they've made any statements whatsoever about potential motive. Um, so, you know, we're really going to have to kind of wait and see what comes out through the investigation. And again, what the amazing thing is, is that in both of these incidences, Atlanta and Boulder, the shooters are still alive. Right. Right. Which is um, going to conjure up all kinds of conspiracy theories, uh, too, as well. I don't want to get into those and why uh, they come. But uh, most of the, the shooters are dead. These shooters are alive. Um, so now we can get some substantial information um, and uh, predicate this on, um, on on valid truth and not speculation, and uh, or at least uh, uh, to what they're willing to admit. Right. And uh, and I hope they just spill their guts. You know. So. Well, so apparently, so um, this individual's family originally immigrated to the U.S. from Syria, and according to Alyssa's brother. Um, he may have been suffering from mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, the brother told CNN that in high school, uh, Alyssa was bullied, um, for being Muslim, uh, for having a Muslim sounding name, and it may have contributed to him becoming antisocial. So uh, it looks like that some of the same things that we've identified in the last like couple of episodes, or at least starting to surface as potential, contributing factors in this case um you know social isolation social alienation yeah this goes back to one of the uh the six classification groups uh, that we described as the school resentful type right, right? yeah potential i yeah. mean he didn't um shoot a school he yeah. shot a grocery store right um or uh yeah or an indiscriminate uh, resentful type uh, -huh. uh or that pseudo community, <laughs> right? He that, that he's right now we here. can't really categorize him. Can't really yeah, categorize him. He can, he can that. fit a couple of different, yeah, different categories. But teased for being Muslim in twenty twenty one. I'm not. Or, uh, I'm not going to undermine and say he wasn't uh, right. at all. But um, does this correlate with mass shootings usually? And I go, well, bullying could. We're seeing that, yeah. as common in the in his the the histories of the shooters. Um, this Alyssa's brother also said that he was becoming increasingly paranoid in the year 2014 and vocalized ideas that he was being followed. So, you know, mm. there is at least based on this, this, some indication that there's some paranoid, uh, paranoid ideology going on, persecutory, you know, um, believe it, you know, be, being believing that he's being persecuted that kind he of might thing. qualify for the pseudo commando <sighs> yeah i mean he had he definitely was armed armed yeah the way a pseudo command a commando killer would be and you know the narratives around here are going to be very different uh, as well because they're not going to want to chastise his religion and nor the should they mm -hmm. um you know i don't think it's propagated upon that or anything like that i have no i, I mean we don't yeah. know I have no idea if he would I have identified or will identify any religious based motivation. Yeah. And um so yeah. that the so what of it all, right? Um, um uh I think that first and foremost it's important to recognize that the reason we can identify what ha you know what happens when someone dies is bad, when someone is murdered is bad. Um is only because we have a biblical worldview. Yeah. We, we understand that the universe is ordered and ordained mm -hmm. and that a sovereign creator governs, yeah. governs it. Mm -hmm. um, that we have 
purposeful suffering. Yes. Um, and in wake of any tragedy like this, as a Christian, you really have to lean into your understanding of God and it, like who he is and what he says about right. human nature, the world, what he says about, you know, history mm-hmm. that hasn't, you know, the future history, if that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding that he is sovereign over everything. Right. Um, that's For- our, that's really where our hope lies. He- and he does have wisdom within this. You see all the complexities and the speculations. It's already a travesty that these events happened already and so much pain and suffering goes in before okay. and after uh, all of these. To the complexities of the shooters themselves, um, to the turmoil of their families. And then you get the speculations. You get the media narratives, which conjure up more emotions, mm-hmm. probably unnecessarily. In the Proverbs, it speaks of wisdom and also to think before you speak. That's the superficial verse uh, there. But I want you to read Proverbs 8 at home after you uh, are done listening to this, because it does talk about the blessings of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And wisdom is described as a girl. You happy about that? Right? Yes. 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 <laughs> Wise woman. And she's saying to all men. In verse nine, my ways they are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. There is a way that the Bible tells you to think. It mm-hmm. may not give you the answers as to why other than he's a sinner. Right. There's complexities in the mm-hmm. sinner's mind and they invent new ways of evil. Mm-hmm. And we, are, we know how to do that really good. Mm-hmm. We suffer and we respond to that suffering. But there is a way that you should think about these things. Right, absolutely. Jumping to a narrative, jumping to an opinion, jumping into a single factor cause mm-hmm. when we just analyzed all all of it right. and come to the conclusion, yeah, we really don't know. Right. Other than maybe this or right. maybe that. We've, we have some, there's some common things that occur, but we really don't know how to predict this specifically. But what does wisdom say? Because wisdom is straight to all who understands and mm-hmm. right to those who find knowledge. What should you understand about this? Mm-hmm. The complexities of the sinner's heart mm-hmm. are too much for you to know. And if you did know, you'd be God. <laughs> God does know, right. which harkens back to what Robin just said about his sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Justice is what we want. Mm-hmm. What is the justice? What is the proper action after event, mm-hmm. after said event? And really, in the biblical law, these two should have their lives taken away from sure. them. They took away lives. Their mm-hmm. lives will be taken right. away with them by jury and right. uh, and uh, uh, um, and our system of government. Mm-hmm. Biblical and, justice says yes. eye for an eye. But, but to you at <laughs> home who's reaping the consequences of the narratives right now, and there are consequences to these opinion native uh, of, of narratives and these single factor causes or speculations, go to wisdom. Mm-hmm. Go to God. Right. Don't to say like, well, that's just more evidence. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. That's lazy and cheap. Yes, it is lazy and cheap. And no apostle ever talked like that. Right. And what a small opinion you must have of God if you really believe that an event like this is outside of his ordained sovereignty. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, we uh, we hope that you've learned something. (laughs) I feel like. 
That was well, every teacher I, in high school at the end of a lot. I hope you learned something. Uh, but if anything, uh, my, our exhortation is to think through these things, mm-hmm. to not jump to conclusions. This is what the world does. Right. Be wise about yes. it. Take heart in God's sovereignty um, and trust that uh, that he, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, if he needed your help, he would ask. I and <laughs> we can hearken back to... You know the people in um, in, in in the times of Christ were wondering whether or not uh, these uh, particular sinners were were more sinful from them because the Tower of Siloam fell on them, mm-hmm. or Pilate mingled their blood with their sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And what did Jesus say? No, like, unless you repent, you will too right perish. Right. You think that these people were more sinners than you? Right. Nah, <sighs> you. Yeah need to repent or you will likewise perish right absolutely sounds harsh but that is true wisdom but it's love to say that this was uh uh, uh, these things were caused because the judgment of god would be to speculate that like Mm -hmm. those those people in that time sure to say it's from this reason or that reason or this reason or that reason you know what repent because you will likewise perish right well and at the end of the day we understand that god's motivation is to glorify himself right yes we so even if we don't have any other understanding outside of that we know ultimately that he will be glorified through triumph and tragedy um all right so we've definitely talked your ear off um we hope that you've learned something like us subscribe to us rate us um on itunes please we love seeing those five star reviews they're awesome um check us out on social media instagram facebook and twitter um yeah and we will continue to tackle really heavy topics like this and hopefully some fun ones too going forward won't always be so morose right nick yes (laughs) and just remember you'll keep in perfect peace if your mind is steadfast on him and you will know that in this life you will have many trials and tribulations, many sufferings, but to take heart, he has overcome the world. Thank you.